Paul is chained. It gets our attention. But the part that really surprises us is that Paul rejoices. Who, who does that? Who rejoices? Who has joy when they're chained? Paul writes his most joyous letter while waiting for, not days, or months, but years, years, years of the same thing, day after day after day after day, chained, the greatest of all missionaries, the man that God used to write the majority of our New Testament, chained, wondering, is this your plan, God? (laughs) Really? This is how you use me? I'm older. I'm wiser. I should be the guy out there. There's some really good ministry going on in the area of Spain. I probably should be planting more churches. I probably should. But Paul rejoices. None of his circumstances contribute to his joy Paul's joy comes from the inside and is contagious. Paul trusts God, listening to the Spirit, and joyously talks about Jesus. He desires that all the Philippian believers experience the joy of walking with the Lord and writes down a prayer for them, one that we studied a few weeks back. He boldly proclaims the gospel that has changed his life and is now seeing this same message change other people's lives. We ended our study last week looking at verse 19 in the first chapter where Paul believes that the success of the gospel or his ministry happened Because of the indwelling spirit and the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. Let's pray. Let's pray before we dig in today. Fathers, I was just talking to you this morning. Your, your word is powerful. Your word is life-changing. And to be honest, there are times I'm casual. I, I'm flippant. I, I pick up the word and I just read it. And put it down feeling I've done my duty or my job. But God, that's not how you're... Word is given. It's given 
to change us. It's given for us to think different and act different. God, in some ways, I fear that some of us will walk through these doors the exact same people that we walked in. Father, your word convicts us. Your word inspires us. Your word encourages us. Your spirit teaches us. We need you desperately today. We ask that I would represent you well. That my words would reflect your heart. We pray, Father, for all those different churches that are opening up your word, who are faithful to the gospel. We ask for those folks at Chain of Lakes Community Church and Life Spring and Grace Point Churches, those just three of them in our area, we pray, God, that you would surround these folks and they would be salt and light in our community. We pray, Father, for our kids and our teachers downstairs even now as they are proclaiming and teaching and representing you. We give you great honor and glory for the kids who came out this last week every single day. Faithful leaders sharing, encouraging, helping them understand who you are. I pray that these kids' lives continually reflect on who God is, as young as they are. I pray, Father, that families would be changed as a result of these kids and their decisions. We thank you, Father, for all that you do for your grace in our lives, for the word. Lord, would you take these few verses that Paul penned in in such unusual situation, circumstances, and would you change us? Change us this day, God. You know how to do it. You know where to do it. You know when to do it. So God, do that. We love you and and anticipate what you're going to teach us today. We pray this in, in your name, your powerful name, your healing name, your redeeming name, your saving name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles or your flat screens or you can read up front on the screen. But we're in Philippians. We're in chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 20 and go through 26, at least right here in the first part. So you can follow along. First, or Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul writes this. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. You you know, I stopped right there. Because I never get this picture of Paul either backing down 
I, I just don't. I, I think he's like Paul Bulldog, the apostle. Like, who would do the stuff that he does? But listen to his heart. Because I, I honestly, I, I don't think this was easy. Day after day after day with some of the callous, most relentless people, at least on the planet at that time. For I fully expect and hope (laughs) that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be better for me, Paul says. But for your sakes, you Philippian believers, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. You know, there's some great anticipation and excitement here. Paul wants to continue his assignment of sharing the gospel in spite of the situation that he's in. He expects to continue to be bold without shame. And as I just mentioned, that couldn't have been easy. It it just couldn't have been. Day after day after day, Perhaps not seeing a lot of fruit at that moment. But hearing stories, perhaps, from other soldiers. Paul desires to live a life that honors Christ. Which at the moment involves chains and soldiers and a quill. You see, you honor Jesus above all things when you care more about his glory than your glory. When you care more about his message than your message. Paul is a verbal processor. You you all have those in your life, don't you? Perhaps you're even a verbal processor. So he processes his dilemma out loud. He's standing there, oh man, what's better? Is it better that I live? Or is it better than I die. If I live, it'll be better for you. If I die, it'll be better for me. (laughs) I don't even know what's better. And as I read this, to me, I think what Paul is saying, would you like a filet or a ribeye? Okay. You're not going to suffer with either one. It is an amazing choice. And Paul literally goes, I I don't know what the answer is here. Living means living for Christ. Living for his glory. 
doing his mission. That, that's what living means to him. Paul resolved that if God grants him breath, he would live for Jesus. His life was changed when he saw how when when he met Jesus, and he saw the gospel literally transforming other people before his very eyes. Don't you actually love talking about your transformation with other people? The time when you met Jesus, the time when everything else changed how you live your life today what you're counting on tomorrow what the priorities are we we go back to that day or that time and we realize all that Jesus did for us and how much God loved us and how things have changed And and you remember telling that story to others and watching it might be even your son or your daughter or someone in a ministry or your neighbor across the fence. And, And you see the eyes light up and you see the understanding happening and you recognize, I want that. I want that gospel. I want that relationship with God. I desire that. It was interesting. I went to two funerals yesterday. One I went as a participant. The other one I officiated. But at one of the funerals, uh, it was at the end, and, and I was at the back of the worship center, and, and I had this big burly hug. And, and it was from behind me, so I couldn't actually see, and I was hoping I knew the person. Um, And he just turns around and says, Rick, I love you. Oh, (laughs) what a nice thing. Well, I knew who it was. It was a young man that I had an opportunity to hang out with 40 years ago. 40 years ago. (laughs) He was invited (laughs) by one of his friends. As a sophomore in high school. He said, why don't you come on out? I want you to hear a story about Jesus. He literally came out with his friend for over a year. And during his junior year, God broke through. His name's Frankie. And yesterday, Frankie started telling me about all the different changes. (laughs) All the way through his life. He's got seven kids. Can you imagine that? Seven kids. Who would do that? You know? Seven kids. And, and realistically, he and his wife and the ministries that he's involved with and 
And the guy that brought him to faith was sitting next to him. And I was like, it was amazing what God has done in these two young men's lives 40 years ago, all the way till now. And actually, I think this is what Paul was so excited about. He said, Jesus changed me. Jesus changes everybody who comes into relationship with him. Now the truth is, everybody must fill in this blank personally. How would you complete this sentence? Paul said, for me, living is Christ. Dying is gain. But oftentimes, we would fill in this blank with, I'll just say it, cheap substitutes. Living is money, living is sexual pleasure, living is power, living is beauty, living is entertainment, and so on. But you almost fill in the next statement too. Dying is... And you know what the truth is? When we talk about this, most people, they may fear dying or they they may just be uncomfortable talking about it, but realistically, even believers, many of them think, whoa, that's not going to be so good. We we hear even these, these images of heaven, gold streets and angels praising, and then me praising, like, Oh, wow, this would be like a nightmare for eternity. Are you serious? This is what I'm looking forward to? And I get it. Because we don't have any idea of how great and wonderful and majestic Jesus is. But how you fill out your living blank depends or determines what you put in your dying blank. To Paul, living would benefit the Philippian church. Actually, he said all believers were included there. And actually, if you just read that, it sounds a little bit pompous, doesn't it? Or as I'm living in, and it's, it's, I should stick around because it's only going to benefit you. It wasn't kind of in that tone, but But that was reality. Paul said living would benefit the Philippians. He is Christ's representative. He is doing God's mission. The kingdom is advancing. People are changing. He is a teacher. He is a shepherd. He is a maker of disciples. There are not only people's lives changing, but communities are changing. Paul's presence will help them grow, the scriptures say, and experience the joy of their faith. In other words, Paul says, I'm going to be around, I think, right now, because two things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to grow in your intimacy with God, and that's what I want, because I am growing in my intimacy with God, and I'm telling you, there's nothing better than Jesus. I want you to hear that. I want you to see that. I want you to understand that. There's other substitutes out there. (laughs) But your relationship with Jesus is, is unbelievable. 
And then I want you to experience the joy of your faith. Is that as you walk with God and you recognize all that he has for you and your gift, you, you are joyful from the inside. And the circumstances don't matter. The doctor's reports don't matter. The dear John's letters don't matter. And I'm not saying those don't hurt. But there's something above and beyond that we as Christians can experience. He says, I want you to grow in your intimacy. I know Jesus. I'm growing there, but I love it. I want you to experience the joy of being in relationship with Jesus. This is God-ordained, empowered work ministry. It bears fruit. It shows. It makes a difference in a church, in a community. Paul says that it is necessary for the Philippians that he stay alive for now. It matters for Paul to be around. Why? Because he's some super apostle? No. Because people, there's actually fruit. These people are growing in their relationship and experience the joy of doing life with Jesus. It is not that he considered himself indispensable, but rather that he was convinced that his ministry was fruitful and not yet complete yet. He was seeing the results. He was understanding the results. You see, you have a mission if you're breathing. And and you've heard that before, but But that's the truth. If you are breathing, that means God has an assignment for you. And let me ask a question. A question not to beat up anybody, but a a question that we probably all need to ask ourselves. Would it matter if you stopped being part of this church? Dying means eternity with Jesus. Let me put it another way. Dying is a clear sign that your assignment is done. Okay? and, And this is so important. Paul is not emphasizing escape. Uh, This is so important. This is what you should hear at a funeral of a God follower. But Paul is emphasizing eternal enjoyment. In fact, put it this way. Paul says that in death, there's more of what satisfies him now. If today you're not satisfied with your relationship, it's just kind of, well, something you do or something you did a long time ago. If you're not enjoying spending time with the Lord, the intimacy with God, my guess is heaven is not going to seem that attractive. Because you get Jesus all the time there. 
why wouldn't that be attractive? But if you're here, you're opening the Word, you're listening to Word, you're spending time with God, He's changing you from the inside out. You're seeing how wonderful it is to do life in spite of circumstances with Jesus over and over. You're growing, you're understanding. You start to say, I can't make it a day. I can't make it an hour. I can't make it without you, Jesus. I I can't do this. I need you. I need your perspective. I need your strength. I need your presence in my life. This is what I need, God. And so, death, if you're a believer, ushers you into, okay, I get you all the time. This is amazing. This is terrific. And that is why a believer's funeral isn't necessarily a sad funeral. Yes, you grieve. Yes, it's hurt. Yes, there's all those things. But realistically, how can you not be excited for somebody to leave this and go there? Yes, you've made an impact in this world. I get it. And you should be missed. And there should be grieving. But it's not this grieving, this hopeless grieving, this this heaving that, what am I going to do? It's just not there. Isn't that weird about a believer's funeral? And, And again, I had a chance for two of them yesterday. And we get to focus on Eternity. I get to give hope for the believers here. But recognize, whoa, they're so much better off. Yeah. Eternity does scare some people, as I said. And and I think mostly because maybe it should be a wake-up call right here to maybe start spending a little bit more time with our Lord so that you get to know Him. You know, the now, right now, the present is amazing because it's about serving Jesus. Now, you may not be there. I may not even agree. But that's where Paul was. And when you serve Jesus, it brings meaning and joy. But Paul knows that the later is better because it involves face-to-face communion or intimacy with Christ. I got to tell you, so many messages I've heard. Remember, I'm a PK. I've been a pastor. I've probably even preached about this, about the mansions and the gold streets. I'm assuming it's all going to be there. But it's not so much about that. I'm just letting you know. Well, I kind of have a shack here, but man, when I get the glory, whoa, you should see the TV I'm going to have. Really? (laughs) You know what's going to happen when we step instantly into the presence of Jesus? (laughs) Whoa, Lord, I don't get it. You thought he gave you grace here. Whoa. Here I bow because of who you are. 
when you see Jesus, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. Whoa. Is that amazing? Death, I think, to Paul is like a boat. It just takes you where you need to go. That's what it does. Let's look at the next few verses. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. You can follow along in your Bibles or, or up on the screen once again. Paul gives some practical advice. He's sharing these words. And then he says, hey, in light of what I've just told you, in, in light of living for Jesus, in, in light of all these things, Above all, if you circle words in your Bible, if you underline, this should be a little bit of a, you know, a bold statement. Above all. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, <laughs> I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and know that I'm still in the midst of it. So Paul gives some practical advice. He says, live as citizens of heaven. And it's kind of funny, again, if you remember, he's chained. Live as citizens of heaven, no matter what your circumstances are. You are a child of the king. Now, this is the only time Paul uses this words in his letter, this, this citizen word. He probably uses it because of the Philippians' pride in being Roman citizens. Remember way back when we did our introduction, Philippi was a little replica of Rome. Paul was trying to say, take pride in the right country. Wow, does that speak to us? Huh? Take pride in being citizens of heaven. Churches are little outposts of the kingdom of God. Guests who come in ought to get a snapshot of what living under the reign in the rule of Jesus looks like. Actually, and this may <laughs> offend some, but let's say it anyway. It actually should look a little bit like heaven, the church. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. What church are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, are, are you serious? I, I, actually, actually, I am. If we walk with God, our love, our life, our liberty, our humility, and other values of the kingdom should be on display. You see, walking with God is the key, and walking with God will make known in the present what life will look like in the future. 
In other words, Paul was saying, you walk into Philippi, you see Rome. You walk into church, you see Jesus. That's why church is not just a Sunday experience, not just a worship, not just a message. I think things change for us too when we realize that heaven is our home. Citizens of heaven, a believer's destination. And if we understand, it's actually a little foolish to invest everything or so much in this life. Peter, which I find a little ironic, you know, the the crazy disciple... After he walked with God for a while and after he learned who Jesus was and after he literally gave up his life for following Jesus, this guy writes this. He believes believers are sojourners, foreigners, or campers. In 1 Peter 1, 17 and 18, Peter writes this. Live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. It could be translated foreigners, sojourners, or maybe some of you campers. Campers. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. How would life change for you if you lived as campers focusing on heaven? Now, anyone who does camping recognizes, although some campout spots are pretty plush, I, I get it, you know, but most of the time it's pretty basic, especially if you're carrying everything. You know, if you're backpacking, if you're going through Europe, if you're just heading out for a few days, you, you're not carrying a, a generator and a TV. I don't think. And you all of a sudden look a little differently. You take the basics. You want to just be able to make it. And I'm not so sure some of us have that same mentality here. But I think that's what Paul is talking about. Conduct yourselves in a worthy manner or in a manner worthy of the one who was changed by the gospel. A person who is just a sojourner whose home is heaven. It's not here. I think what Paul is saying is this. You are part of God's family and you wear the jersey. You wear the Jesus jersey. You know, the men's basketball coach at Duke was Mike Shuzhevsky. He recruited players for 42 seasons who would embrace the Duke family, be coachable, have character, be smart, and have talent. These are the five things for 42 years he would look at his recruits and say, this is what I want. The one thing I'd like to just focus on for a moment is the character part. It was a big deal living in a manner worthy of a Duke basketball player. Let me read to you what one sports writer said. Coach K, he was known by that because no one could literally say his last name. Coach K 
had built Duke into a brand that is known for having quality individuals who stay out of trouble and succeed once they move on from the program. He looks for guys with high character who will continue to uphold the standards of that brand. Coach K typically avoids recruiting players with a history of having off-court issues or academic problems because of the friction that it could possibly create in his program. Now let me go into something a little bit deeper. Jesus describes what the kingdom community looks like when he taught, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But in the Luke version of the Beatitudes, he talked about folks who walk with God, reflect him wherever they go. Basically, Jesus would teach, and you'd see this often in the Gospels. He would say, hey, they think you act like this, or this is how normal people act, or this is how everyone in the culture acts. But Jesus said, but you, it will be different. Because if you walk in my ways, you will stick out. And ultimately, he said this, you are going to treat others in a way that you want to be treated. And I got to tell you, I've got a verse up there, Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 35 and 36. And in my men's group this week, we focused, this was one of the things we focused on, and it left us speechless. I just want you to know. Because when we meet, we open up the Word of God and we ask really three questions. Father, are you convicting us about something? Is there something we're not listening to you about? God, what is it that you want to change in my life? And this is what we read. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the most high. And and, and you stop right there. But look at these next words. For he, God, is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Duke basketball players stick out. Jesus followers stick out because nobody does this. Nobody. Honoring Christ and living as citizens of heaven means proclaiming the gospel boldly, both with your lips and with your lives. Because we walk with Jesus, we naturally talk about amazing, how amazing, how wonderful this life transformation is by accepting his grace and walking with him. Because we walk with Jesus, we naturally reflect the Lord in our lives because he's changing us from the inside out and we're capable of loving our enemies and lending money to those who will never repay us. 
And the list goes on. When we walk with Jesus, our focus is Jesus. It, it just changes. No one's saying, let's try harder. What we are saying, what Paul is saying, get to know your Lord. It changes everything. Then he ends up this passage and he says, stand together, fight together for the faith, the gospel. That's the most important thing. We don't focus on enemies or obstacles. And even in ministry, I am amazed how important emerges when the mission is critical and the time is limited. Then he said, understand your privileges. And and it's just a little shocking as you, privileges, oh, privileges, privileges should be kind of good privileges. This is number one, you're part of God's family. You trusted Christ. That's a privilege. Oh, okay, we get that. But I also want you to know you're part of God's family and you will suffer. You will suffer. I will suffer. Well, life that's not lived with you being focused on, of course you're going to suffer. You're going to give away more than you ever knew. You're going to spend time not on yourselves, but on others. Something's going to be really different. And you will suffer. Suffering for the sake of Christ is a privilege. Paul's words are worth a careful, prayerful reflection as you embrace the cost. But my guess is, the moment you enter eternity, the very moment you do, you will realize that anything that you suffered for here is absolutely worth it. Bingo. Stop. It is. Recognize that life is a struggle and that struggling well together while advancing the kingdom is a privilege together. Now, as I wrap up, Paul models and challenges us to live lives that honor Christ. It it is all about Jesus. It is rejoicing in Jesus, relying on Jesus, and representing Jesus. You know, I don't know how many of you have any respect for St. Patrick. Most of the time, it's a day for us to wear some green and, and uh, look like a leprechaun, I guess, you know, in, in, in some ways. But St. Patrick was a 5th century Irish evangelist. And, and I got to tell you, he was an amazing evangelist. Some of you have read his prayer, but I'm going to put it up on the screen And I'm going to read it for you because honestly, I just think this man in the 5th century had a heart for people, but more than that, he had a heart for God. And this is his prayer. As I arise today, may the strength of God pilot me, the power of God uphold me, the wisdom of God guide me. 
May the eye of God look before me, the ear of God hear me, and the word of God speak for me. May the hand of God protect me, the way of God lie before me, the shield of God defend me, the host of God save me. May Christ shield me today, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lay down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me, and then he says amen. I'm not sure I've ever prayed like that. (laughs) I'll be honest. That's a Christ centered prayer. And that would be a Christ centered life. I, I would ask you at this time to bow your heads, to shut your eyes. And if you've been with us over these past few weeks, I've been, I've been asking people to stand. And, and some of you are wondering, what, what is this? Is this this newfangled thing or, or whatever? But really what I, I guess, have been convicted about is, is there are so many things that God does when a message is given. And sometimes we're inspired and sometimes we're convicted and and sometimes we're making some really important decisions. And, And I don't know what decisions you've made even this morning as God's word has been preached. But I wonder, I wonder if the Spirit is prompting you and that you're more inspired to live a life that would honor God which means spending more time with God and listening to God and responding to God and representing God wherever you are and being more dependent on God I I would ask this if God has convicted, inspired encouraged you in any way this morning would you stand? no one is looking no one is looking would you, would you stand? Because I want to pray just for you. Well, I want to pray for everyone, but, but I want to pray for you. Those that are saying, in some ways, I do not want to leave the same way that I came in here. Because that's what God does. God does something every time God's word goes out. Let me pray. Father, today, we have folks who are standing. Not not for some kind of applause, not for any kind of a merit badge, but they've heard from you today. They've been convicted. They've been inspired. Your spirit is working today. And God, I would ask that you would do something powerful and special in these folks right now. Do not let the enemy dissuade them. May they be encouraged and strengthened, not only today, but this week. 
God, for all the rest of us, we're asking you to do a work to change us, to glorify your name and allow not only the people here, whether even folks online, but, but your church would honor you well. We would ask that, God, because we sang earlier that you can do this. You can do this. You can do anything, and we thank you. Would you sit down, please? So, Father, as, as we leave, empower us and strengthen us. Thank you again for your grace. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.